Hello everybody and welcome back to the sixth episode of the second season of Pet Talk. Today we're joined by Tom Wood of the York Marxist Society on the right to strike. This is a longer episode today, so uh, I hope you've got the time. Please enjoy it. Hello, thanks for having me. So to start this discussion off, um, I attended your event the other evening uh, at, uh, at the Marxist Society in which you gave a uh, a good speech um so i'd like to I'd, I'd like to start off asking you the same question again of where do you think britain's going in regards to the current the current problems in in in, in the labor movement and in the in the Tory government yeah well you know it seems at the minute you know for, for us in the marxist society it's like being at a pick and mix the amount of different picket lines you can go to the amount of different strikes there are and you'd say what Ten years ago, this wasn't this wouldn't have been a thing. Like you know, you got you got lecturers. Like thirty years ago, it would have been like you know unthinkable for lecturers to be out. Mm. Um, whereas in the last ballot, they had, you had like thirty-one percent wanting indefinite strike action. You know, it, going to show where Britain is going is you know a new path that we haven't seen for you know probably since um, since the seventies, class struggle in the seventies, and you know mm. the and, and the um, mine strike as well. But you know, where is Britain going? It's a question that is on everyone's minds. Um, so I'm going to try my best to give a Marxist explanation of of the current situation, um, and you know where we're heading. So like five years ago, you know the Economist. I'm sure plenty of people in um, PPA might have probably probably read it. I had to <laughs> suffer through reading that. Uh, you know it's an organ of the ruling class. I think Le- Lenin says it was the magazine of the millionaires or mm-hmm. ma- magazine of the millionaires club. Um, and the Economist was like deeply alarmed by the direction Britain was heading. You know. It said, Britain hasn't had a violent revolution since, you know, 1640 um, to 60. It said, but the, the next five years could test Britain's immune system to, to, um, to the limits. And, you know, that, that's sort of coming true now. Um, and you could see, like, the extreme contradictions building up in Britain. That could result in, like, a social explosion at some point in the future. And, you know, the reference to a revolution in that was no accident. Things have reached, um, have not re- uh, reached that pitch yet. But even um, they, you know, the economists could not have dreamed of the chaos and turbulence that has gripped Britain since then. And, you know, it's a manifestation of a system that is in crisis. You know, capitalism is in crisis. Um, And unprecedented events were already beginning to unfold at that time. You know, the fact that the ruling class had lost control over both the Labour Party and Tory Party five years ago was an astonishing situation. And then um, convulsed with a deep slump and pandemic, uh, the country's GDP has collapsed by 10%. You know, it's the steepest decline in 300 years. I think it was um, since the Napoleonic Wars. Mm. Um, And, you know, this unparalleled collapse simply reflected the underlying, you know, chronic weakness of the British economy, which had, you know, been hollowed out over the previous 40 years. Um, Not surprisingly, Britain was the worst affected country in the G7, as well as in Europe. Um, while the ruling class has managed to regain control over the Labour Party to a certain extent over the over the Tory Party, um, with Rishi Sunak t- taking the helm, it, um, it's facing another devastating crisis of epic proportions. You know, it's projected that in 2023, Britain will be the worst performing country in the G20 economically, apart from sanction hit Russia. You know, it's pretty dire. Um, <laughs> So, like to paraphrase Trot- um, Trotsky, you know, being a Trotskyist, um, the British ruling class is tobogganing to disaster with its eyes open. You know, over the past period, Britain has been changed irrevocably for the worse. There's been a complete sea change with collapsing governments. You know, it seems every uh, recently, it was like every other month, we were getting a new a new prime minister, a new scandal, um, and um, a rise in class struggle. You know, the whole country has been plunged into an impasse. You know, such changes, you know, unprecedented in living memory, you know, traditionally slow place, um, slow uh, pace of British events 
has given way to rapid changes and extreme volatility. And, you know, we're truly in the midst of an epoch of sharp and sudden changes. Um, and, you know, Britain once prided itself on its stability, particularly in the post-war periods. We think of that consensus, full employment, everyone's man and granddad very happy in the sort of, you know, in the, in the, in the subsidised rent of a council house. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you know, it's quite, a, you know, a, a decent time compared to now. Um, that stability, that old stability has completely vanished. You know, incredibly, the country has um, been compared to Italy, a country that's long been considered the most unstable in Europe. And now, you know, Britain is the sick man of Europe and it's vying for the, you know, it's, it's vying for this title. Um, some commentators have said Britain um, is in its most serious crisis since the war. Others have said we are in the most serious crisis in modern history. You know, there's this fella, Andrew Bailey, the governor of the Bank of England, he turned around and said, I'm afraid it's not a good story. <laughs> when he was, you know, that was his frank um, response to, you know, talking about Britain's economic prospects. And, you know, without exaggeration, this is a crisis at all levels. Um, at this meeting, we had a nurse come and she was talking about the, um, the state of, you know, NHS hospitals under Tory austerity, where, you know, it seems to undercut on every service in order to say, well, the only solution is to privatise. Um, and from her talk, it, you know, really backed up the fact that the crisis that Britain is in is economic, political and especially social as well. Mm. And this is reflected in everyday life. You know, you, you've got to see that the price of a bowl of, you know, a student staple, like a bowl of tomato pasta with cheese has gone up by 54%. Yeah. Do, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's just to sum up all, the, all these crises coming together at once. Um, and this coupled with the speed of events, you know, it seems every, every day there's a new announcement about the class struggle intensifying. You know, this is without parallel. And these are symptoms of a, of a developing pre-revolutionary period in Britain, which extends over, over many years. Um, the day of action um, taken place um, that took place yesterday was a protest against um, the Tories' anti-strike laws that have passed. Um, that 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 did pass, and I think they're in the House of Lords now. Mm. That saw half a million workers um, take to rallies across the country and, and picket lines. And certainly for me, like you know, my politically active life, the scale of this event and the militancy of it is is without precedent. Um, and the ruling class can see the situation does not bode well for them at all. And people are firmly aware that it is the capitalists and the Tories that are the enemy. And that is why, you know, they are preparing for war with this latest piece of draconian um, legislation. But if they're preparing for war, I'd say the working class, you know, our class needs to prepare for war as well. But the question remains, you know, um, not only where is Britain going, you know, towards these um, these mm. social explosions, but what we're next for the left? You know, um, to, to use here, I think Keir Starmer, the Knight of the Realm, leader, you know, the leader of the Labour Party, is any, is any fit state to lead the left? Who <laughs> <sighs> knows? Who knows? Who knows? A million dollar question, mate. <laughs> million dollar question. No, well, I'll be honest. I, I, I highly. I, I'm, doubt. I'm sure. I'm sure you don't. <laughs> no, I highly doubt it. As he spent the whole of his leadership um, career presenting himself as like a loyal lapdog for capitalism, you know, trying to paint the Tory party as a viable alternative to the Tories, much like Blair, you mm. know, project started by Neil Kinnock and, you know, finally, you know, succeeded by Blair. Mm. But, but luckily for us, potential alternatives have presented themselves, you know, things like July, last autumn, winter, there was enough is enough based onto the scene. And that saw like tens of thousands turn up to meetings, half a million signs up within a month. And it really was like sort of like a lightning rod that, you know, the, the, that um, workers and trade unions were gathering around. And it showed this real potential. Um, and that, you know, the, 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 the ferment in society wasn't finding expression politically. You know, imagine it's been completely blocked off by Keir Starmer. Mm. Um, but 
this could have acted as a springboard to like build up sort of like local branches, local organisations to really empower like grassroots trade unionists at like a local level. But it's 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 being wasted. Um, they haven't they haven't done this. You know there was talk of setting up these local local branches, but where are they? We haven't seen them. Mm. Um, you know groups such as Momentum and People's Assembly have also dropped off the radar and are nowhere to be seen locally. And even in there at their peak, they were attracting crowds in the tens of thousands as well. But now they're stagnant and they don't know where to turn. Um, and you know, because of this failure to mobilise and organise at a local level, grassroots trade unionists and activists lack a nationwide campaign to coordinate their fight back. You know, as the class war heats up, this will only give, um, this will only hold the movement back and give the bosses, the capitalists, the Tories an advantage. And you know, what is needed is the strike at the heart of the capitalist system, at the heart of the bosses' system, and that is through coordinated strike action, much like we saw yesterday. Um, but we're seeing more. We're seeing more of this. However, the way it's organised is top-down, with little discussion of how rank-and-file members can link up. And this hasn't prevented the working class um, from um, linking up in local disputes, um, You know, acting instinctively upon class solidarity and organising local coordinated action. Um, but there's no broader, purposeful effort you know, to coordinate workers across different unions. And I think what's needed is cross-union strike committees that coordinate and mobilise the rank and file of the unions. That's the real power of the unions, not mm. in the bureaucratic leaders at the top. Mm. Um, and this is the best way we can light a fire, under strengthen and win the fight back. Um, and, you know, for our class to have the best chance of winning the fight against the bosses, we need to learn from the mistakes of the past. Um, and, you know, efforts made in the past to organise grassroots activists ended up concentrating power at the top which has left those members disempowered and disillusioned. Mm. Um, just... So like organizations, organizations like Momentum um, did not learn from history. In fact, you know, they've been shown to be doomed to, uh, the, the doomed to repeat it. You know, again and again, you know, they've seen these organizations capitulate to the right wing of the labor movements and moderating their demands in a vain effort to form a broad church. You know, with these, you know, with the right wing of the labor movements, you were effectively traitors. Of, of the working class, class they are class traitors. You know, you consistently for, um, fall for dividing real tactics of the ruling class too. And we can see this. There was a, there was a campaign in unison, you know, traditionally, one of the, you, know, in, you know, historically one of the more right-wing trade unions, um, a real left-wing grassroots campaign that formed, and it was called Time for Real Change. And they won um, the seats on the National Executive um, Council of this union. However, you know, then the the, um, the right wing bureaucracy was throwing everything it had at it, including false allegations of institutional racism. And instead of fighting these um, these these false accusations, they turned around, apologised, and admitted guilt. And then this just emboldened the um, the the right wing bureaucracy of the union, because you know, as we've seen, you know, even if you look at Corbyn, you know, any the weakness that these these uh, movements have shown just invites aggression. Mm. Um, and, you know, the next wave of militant left leaders uh, must have no truck with making friends with the right wing. Instead, they should see um, they should see the right wing for what they are, traitors of the Labour movement who should be shown the door. And if they refuse to leave the Labour movement, they should be pushed out. Um, however, you know, at, as a Marxist, as, as a communist, you do often fall into the trap of seeing things in, in a negative, like criticising left leaders um, for not um, being left wing enough. But... It's important not to be sectarian about these things. You know, mm. you can't go full, you know, say like the Socialist Party or, you know, these other, these other like, you know, sort of small fringe groups that have abandoned the mass organisations and formed these little, these small groups mm. outside of the labour movement. Um, you know, what, what, what is needed today is, uh, what's necessary is a friendly but implacably, um, friendly but implacable criticism on left leaders in the unions, you know, a skillful criticism of their like sort of softness, prevarication and vagueness. 
um, as the failure to present the um, the issues in a sh- in sharp um, and clear class terms. Um, and the result is that um, so I'll just I'll just wrap up this um, this now. But the, the result is that there is now in the middle of this deep crisis of British capitalism and ex- um, an explosion of the class struggle, an enormous vacuum on the left. You know what the working class needs and deserves is a leadership that is willing to match the workers' courage and sacrifice with an equally bold leadership, confidence in the immense power of the working class to take control and transform society for the better. And, you know the working class will push the leaders of the left um, to show that their bold phrases. You know we had um, Mick Lynch calling for um, a general strike to make sure these bold phrases are not just air without substance. And you know they will want to see bold talk met with bold action, and either left leaders will deliver this or they will be cast aside by the working class. Mm. Um, so you know what we can see is that tremendous class battles await us in the future. Um, and if there is a general strike, you know what 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 is going to be what is the plan? You know um, what comes after? Do we simply return home? <laughs> no, you can't. You know a general strike raises the question of who is master of the house, who really runs society. And the general strike shows that not a light turns on, not a wheel turns, not the kind permission of the working class. It transforms consciousness on a mass scale. And at this decisive movement, what is needed is a leadership that delivers direction and clarity and put the question to the working class, who really has the power, who, who should really rule society? And that is the ruling, uh, the, the, the working class. Um, so I'll, 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 I'll finish on this, and it's victory to the nurses, victory to the UCU, and victory to the whole working class. I can see why you enjoyed that when you went to listen, mate. That was a that was really great, mate. Thank, thank you, Tom. Thank for, yeah, thank thanks you. for reciting that again. That was really good. So I've got a, a, a couple of questions just on uh, on on the factions of the left, the different factions of the left. And do you think that the the sheer amount of factions is then detrimental to to the class struggle? Do the, do, you know, and, and and can the left unite when there are so many so many different factions? Like you said. Um. It's an interesting question, actually, because you have this. This comes up quite a lot at, at Marxist society. Mm. Um, I think I can I can answer it by saying what the correct tactic is. Mm. So, in terms of building up um, a revolutionary leadership um, for for the working class, you know, in the Marxist society, we talk about you know we 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 our focus is is on Marxist theory. Mm. Um, and how we can apply that to the class struggle. And if you read Marxist theory and you have a correct understanding of it, you find that in the very first, I think, paragraph of the Communist Manifesto, Karl Marx writes down, the communists do not form a party outside of the workers' organisations. Mm. And looking at these groups, you can see that a lot of that has been forgotten. Um, and if you look at the example of um, in, in France in um, May 1968, there was a, there was you know a re- there was a, a revolution. It failed obviously because France is not the French Republic of of French Workers' <laughs> Republic. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and what you're seeing there is that the way the working class, you know, rather than turning around when revolution started, rather than turning around and going ah. Oh, Oh, we need to start. We all need to join that socialist party. We all need to join. We all need to join that sectarian group that formed separately ages ago. No, they mm-hmm. go to the mass organisations that already exist. So what we'd say is that you need to be involved in those organisations um, and win the leadership of those organisations as well. Because if you form separately at the decisive moment, when the working class is on the move in a revolution, it'll they'll go to the mass organisations. And if you're not there. Um, to provide a Marxist leadership and win that leadership, then the the, the possibility of a revolution could be dissipated. I always think of it as like um, a you know a revolutionary leadership is like a piston, mm. and then revolution is like steam. And if it's not there where the steam goes, 
then yeah. it's just going to be dissipated. And you've yeah. seen that throughout history. Yeah. But building on that, I was just going to say, why do you think, obviously, so when Jeremy Corbyn came into power in um, the Labour Party, sort of early, 20, it wasn't early, it was mid-2010. 2015, right? Yeah, 2015 through 2019. He was touted by many to be the most left-wing leader the Labour Party had in a while. Mm. What was your opinion on that? Because obviously he, he made quite large improvements in the deficit to the Tory party, yet he was still forced out for his supposed, some would say, it was argued by mem- mainly the media that he was too extreme in mm. Britain. Why do you think he was forced out? And why do you think that, as you were saying, like you electing people into areas, obviously he may not be a Marxist, but he was definitely more or considered to be more left-wing than previous leaders. Why do you think that failed in that sense? Uh, I think with, with Corbyn, um, under, under Corbyn you had hundreds of thousands of people flood into the Labour Party. It, 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 his campaign, his mm. leadership, breathed new life into the Labour Party. You think of it after Blair, the amount of socialists who would have left disillusioned with, with the party and with the leadership, mm-hmm. really breathed that life into it. And you can see that this campaign that was behind Corbyn would have frightened the ruling class. <laughs> so you think, oh, we've had control over this party for so long. Now we've got this this crazy communist Corbyn take over the party. You know, mm. let's be clear. He wasn't a communist. His programme was um, a, re- a reformist programme. It wasn't revolutionary, but it was one that really resonated with, with, the, with the working class, especially since the financial crash in, crash in 2008. Um, and I think that's one reason why they couldn't let him succeed was because if he'd won and these reforms had been put in, the developments in class consciousness then, that the victories that could be achieved mm. would have made people realise, oh, it doesn't have to be this way. When we get together and make change happen, um, you know, we can win, we can succeed, and the ruling class couldn't let that happen. You've also got to think about the, the right wing of the Labour Party as well, who's had a nice nice control over the party for so long. Mm. Um, and you see Corbyn get in, you know, this, this person who doesn't wear a tie to go to the House of Commons, you know, this, you know, this, 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 this ruffian. Mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> They did everything they could to sabotage. There's a right-wing Labour MP who said, I'd rather see the Tories win than Corbyn. Um, so they did everything they could to undermine the party. Mm. Um, there's another aspect to it as well, is that Corbyn, you know, I, I'd, I'd supported Corbyn. Again, getting back to that critical support I was talking about before. Mm. Um, so it was like he marched all this res- this resurgent left up to the top of a hill, imagine it as, a, as an army, and marched them back down again. He wanted to form a broad church with the right. He wanted everyone to come together and, you know, we'd all work together. The right wing showed no interest in working together with Corbyn whatsoever. Mm. Um, and because he, he used that opportunity to, um, to boot out the right, Joe, like the right wing have done with every socialist in the party since who's raised their head over, over the parapet, with, you know, mm. Starmer's page, Stalinist page of every single left wing socialist. It's like, <laughs> it's like Rebecca Long Bailey was one of the three final candidates for Labour leadership, and it was promised that each of them would have a space in the shadow cabinet. Mm. Sucked. It was, it was ha- how many months until Rebecca Long Bailey was pushed out of the shadow cabinet? Not many. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So instead. It, it, what was needed was backbone. You know, if the right wing aren't going to make a space for the socialists in the Labour Party, the socialists shouldn't be making a space for them. None of this um, sitting around a fire and saying, come by, ah, with your, with your enemy. <laughs> mm. Boot them out. That, yeah. That's what I think they should have done. Yeah. Like, like, like you said then, where, uh, the, the, the leadership of Jeremy Corbyn in the Labour Party, you know, you know there was a, a breath of life in, in, into the party, especially among the groups like you mentioned before, uh, Momentum, which saw... Like tens of thousands of people at their events, the Labour Party membership went up, you know, by 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 an, an immense amount. 
why did those groups then drop off? Because we've not, I mean, I've not heard a lot about momentum since 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 Corbyn stopped being leader of the party. Is it is it to do, to do with the same sort of thing where the like the the leadership of Keir Starmer is just trying to purge all of the uh, the, the left wing movements out of the party? Yeah, I think I think that's a lot of it. Um, again, getting back to this like this this weakness, um, this like sort of in a, like you know this unwillingness to sort of you know start a fight with the with the with the right wing of the party. It's mm. all this uh, sort of um, they fall for like dividing real tactics. Um, but especially uh, one thing I got into in in my talk as well was that a lot of these organisation organisations ended up concentrating power at the top. And what we need to see is the emboldening and the mobilisation of the grassroots mm. activists, because that's where the power really comes from, um, not these bureaucratic leaders. Um, but I think a lot of it with, uh, with, with, with groups like Momentum is this sort of like bureaucratic way they run, um, and also the, like, the way they didn't um, empower grassroots-level organisation. Mm. And since then, they've been unwilling to sort of fight back against the right wing out of fear of being, you know, sort of purged out and booted out. Mm. Um, but and it, it's a real shame because organisations like Momentum brought so many socialists into the party and, you know, yeah. brought, you know, gave so many people hope that the Labour Party could, um, un- under Corbyn, you know, fight in the interest of the working class rather than what we're seeing now where you've got like Zakir Starmer who, who is against the interest of the working class. Mm. Um, but yeah, that, that, I'd, say, I'd, I'd say that's why. One yeah. one final quick question before I think we're looking to switch back on the sort of the strikes that we're suffering from at the moment. Mm. Um, Keir Starmer is obviously way ahead in the polls at the moment, or is supposedly looking at quite a large majority for the Labour Party. Do you think that were Labour to get into power, there'd be a possibility for the socialist wing of the party to regain some influence through um, election to things like the TUC, etc.? Or do you think that if Starmer comes to power, it's going to be a reiteration of the sort of Blairite period of the Labour Party in government? I believe it would be close to the Blairite government. Um, Keir Starmer's shown no sign of wanting to stand up for the, for the working class whatsoever. Um, there was plans from Labour recently, I forget the name of the Shadow Education Secretary, but someone brought it up at our meeting. They were talking yeah. about... Um, the plan to save the NHS, this this Labour Shadow Secretary's plan to save the NHS was for more privatisation. <laughs> it wasn't, you know, to boot out the private companies, boot them out out of our um, health service who are making a profit, um, or all this outsourcing to, you know, um, rip off um, agencies like Circle. Remember their the track and trace system? That didn't mm. work. I think it was pretty much just an Excel spreadsheet that we ended up paying hundreds of millions for. Um I don't think Keir Starmer is not offering any any sort of direction or reason for for hope in the in the working class. And I'd say um, a lot of I, th- I think some people can can get trapped in the thinking it's like right. Well, when Keir Starmer gets in, it'll show everyone how right we all were all along. Um, you know, in terms of let the, let them see how bad the Keir Starmer government is. But I'd say just assuming that people see how bad Starmer is and then swing over to the socialists is or you know left wing people or even us that you know even you know communists um i i i don't think it's as, as mechanical as that you know people can just end up becoming disillusioned and not get voting in politics whatsoever mm. and become far removed you know remove themselves from it because it's been such a disappointment um i think that's why it's important that this time um people are intervening in the labor movements who offer a different vision to what's being offered by you know Starmer's Blairite um lukewarm you know sort of politics mm. Mm. yeah 
Do you think then that do you think Starmer is currently winning these votes in the polls, or is it just the government losing them? Yeah, I think it's the government losing them. In all honesty, yeah. you know, um, yeah, during COVID, you know, when um, due to the government's failings, you know. Um, People are affected. Engels, Frederick Engels, had the same for this social media when mm. people reach an early unnatural end due to the conditions they they live in, you know, because of you know, mm. um, you know, immiseration and poverty, um, or, or avoidable causes, but it's due to the, the the fact that the working class that they end up dying. Mm. Um, you know, the social media that was committed by the Tories during COVID, opening up care homes um, to, to 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 the virus. Um, you know the, the the death toll that we had here um, far exceeded what could have, what what would have what it would have been if action proper action had been taken. But mm. during that time, Labour didn't go ahead in the polls. Starmer said, "Well, at this time, we're not going to be um, we're going to not be too critical because right now the country needs to come together." Um, at that time, there's plenty of you know if if if, if Starmer is at the backbone, you could have won loads of votes over. There's plenty of ammunition. Yeah. yeah. But now, because the because the amount of scandals that the Tories are just seem to be just, just seem to be like for, like rolling down a hill, hitting yeah. a different scandal each time. I think it's a case of them losing losing votes. Um, I don't think it's a case of Starmer because Starmer doesn't offer really anything different to the Tories. Yeah. I think it's a case of people being fed up of the of the, of the scandals, of the lies, and of the corruption of the Tory government. Less so than because have you seen Starmer? He's just, he's a, he's a cardboard man. He's got no charisma. Yeah. Um, and also, he's got no policies that, yeah, that, yeah, that appeal yeah. either. I mean, that, 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 that's the thing about Stammer. Um, the question is, Stammer winning these votes? Is that, well, the, the, the Tory line of fire on the Labour Party at the moment is, you know. Okay, sorry about that with some uh, te- technical difficulties. Um, but moving back onto our topic of conversation, we'll move it now to more towards the current wave of strikes. Um, and the question is more, you know, in, in terms of the action taken by the UCU, is why should students specifically be standing in solidarity with striking workers in the universities? Yeah. Well, first of all, on behalf of the Marxist Society, I want to extend full solidarity to striking staff in the UCU, no matter what action they decide to take. Um, well, what the reason what the Marxist Society has said from the start that students have an interest in the UCU winning um, and that we should show staff our full solidarity. You don't have to be a communist like me <laughs> or other people in the Marxist society to understand that the UCU's fight is also our fight. Um, you know, the UCU is on strike because of low pay um, and their and their working conditions. Mm. Whereas, you know, if you look at what students, the, the sort of um, the hand that students have been dealt by... by um, Privatized Tory higher education is um, is 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 equally bad. You know, um, students have been offered a two point three percent maintenance. This is for undergraduates um, like maintenance loan increase um, for this year. Yeah, I mentioned before the price of a bowl of pasta is up fifty four percent. Inflation <laughs> is up to it's between ten and eleven percent now. Um, and I was doing some research since um, since twenty sixteen when loans replaced grants. The student loan kept its value, and even then, it was barely enough to scrape by. Yeah. Um, now, up to twenty twenty, that kept it kept its real value. Mm-hmm. Since then, the value of that loan up to now has gone down by fifteen percent. Um, that's a real terms cut of fifteen percent in three years. Meanwhile, the government has thrown us um, two point three percent to help <laughs> because apparently that that in line with their projections of inflation. 
every projection the government has delivered for inflation has been wrong and it's underestimated it. And if if this was a workplace, well, you know, which it is for the staff, but if students were workers, they'd be doing the same as every single other worker in any union right now and rejecting these below inflation, you know, let's call it a pay rise. Mm. Um, you know, what we should be having is, um, well, education, first of all, should be free from cradle to grave. But right now what we're seeing is that the Tories you know, these these policies are forcing students into poverty. I did part-time work when I was doing my undergraduate because the student loan wasn't enough now. Yeah. But what this will do is bring even more students into um, into poverty and be forced to have to work mm-hmm. alongside a workforce that is getting more radical by the day. Yeah, I've mm. got friends who are, due to the lack of a student loan, are having to work almost full-time hours to mm. get put the money together because also the whole with the whole cost of living crisis prices of like student housing for next year is going mm. up yeah i know people paying ridiculous amounts per week which their student loan could never cover in a million years no matter how large it was yeah it's i mean uh well year on year i think well i i adam bennett one of the big letting uh agencies in mm. in york i think they increased everything by thirty-three percent on, on, on last year. It's the same with like um my cut my current flat now. The um landlord that I'm involved uh, I'm involved with lets through IG property, mm. and she's lovely, love her, great great landlord to fix everything we need to. But the price of the house without bills is going up by twenty pounds of like a hundred of hundred and forty. So it's not quite thirty-three yeah. percent, but. Everywhere is raising it, whether you'd expect them to or not. Mm. And the student loan, like you said, is just not going up. No. Now, 2.3% is an insult to all students. You know, higher education now, you know, getting a degree. Education is not a gift to be passed on from one generation to the next. It's 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 a commodity um, to be bought and sold. And I think that whole ethos, marketised education, having education run for profit, is destroying education. Mm. And I think that that's why the UCU's victory is a student's victory because if their pay improves and their working conditions improve, then it means that our learning conditions improve. And this is something that you'll hear across any, you know, from um, people in the um, National Union of Students, you'll hear it from staff themselves. But I think it's something that we really need to get across to all students is that students and staff are suffering under the same system. So we need to unite in this fight mm. um, because... As, as I say, if 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 students were workers and being offered two point three percent, they'd be out on strike. Yeah. And it's this idea that students we can't, there's nothing we can really do because we're not workers. But there is something we can do, and it's back up the UCU so that so that they can win and so that we can make our demands too. Yeah, I mean, and that's also on the back of uh, was it last year the government announced that uh, the interest rates on loan repayments was there was a hike in them as well I think it was at least yeah I think they're, always, they're also trying to hike how long we have our loan yeah um, I think it, I think because I, I don't quite know exactly what it is now I think it might be like 60 at 60 your loan is currently wiped yeah. they're trying to raise like 65 or 70 yeah mm. um Moving forward then on the same topic of strikes, uh, do you think there's any reason at the moment to be optimistic about the outcomes of the current strike wave? Yeah, I think it's important to 
you know, with that with that rally that was in town yesterday, there was easily mm. over five hundred workers in York. I've mm. been living in York now since August. Yeah. And I thought it was just people in barber jackets, wellies and tourists. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I've seen oh, you know, the show it was real like sort of qualitative change in terms mm. of like, you know, the labour movement yeah. in York. You know, you think of it as this tourist town, it's changing. You've got all these workers coming out and class consciousness is, you know, getting more radical. It's getting mm. inspired by these events. And, yeah. But I think it's important to say that the the the, the fight back you know, I'll call it the, you know the fight back against capitalism, against the Tories, against austerity. It's not it's not a linear path. It's not going to be like this constant trajectory upwards. There's going to be there's going to be victories. There's going to be defeats. Um, but I think it would be, it would be naive to think that it's just going to be a straightforward victory. What is needed is, as I say, like that the vacuum on the left to really offer um, sh- um, clear um, clarity and strategy. Um, so. In terms of being optimistic, yeah, I'd say yeah. You know, the working class in 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 Britain is showing that it's not going to you know take all of this on its knees. It's going to stand up and fight back. But that doesn't mean there's going to be every 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 fight back is going to be a victory. But what it mm. shows is that the the, the capitalists are not going to get what the what they want what they want without a fight. And what mm. we need to make sure is that this fight goes one round and that we win. Mm. And that's what that's what a revolution is is all about. Well, so really, really sort of building on that sort of one big fight and the win. Do you think that there will be there's the possibility of, or there will be a general strike in in the near future? I think, yeah. Um, it's 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 hard to tell. You know, Marxist theory can do a lot of things, but unfortunately, it's not it's not a crystal ball. <laughs> um, but I'd say with the with the way things are, you know, workers yesterday, everyone I spoke to at the rally in York and. Um, Hearing from, um, you know, looking at the news of, of people, you know, even the BBC was out there interviewing people, acknowledging there is a class struggle. Mm. Um, from what they've said, they were absolutely made up to have the coordinated action, the solidarity being shown across unions, and they wanted more of that. And I think more and more it's being shown that the only way to win against, against the capitalists, against the ruling class, is to escalate the, um, the action. Because they're... they're they're not going to want to give up what they have without a fight, and I think they're willing to sort of they're they're willing to fight dirtier than ever, and I think the working class has got to be willing to sort of unite and you know is willing to unite, and I, but I think the leadership needs to do a lot to enable that because um, I said you know there was coordinated action yesterday, but this doesn't need to be coming from the top down. This needs to be from grassroots, um, you know, strike committees to really give the workers moving that sort of um, versatility and strength to respond to events um, quickly. Yeah, but if 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 a strike if a general strike is what's needed, I think the working class has shown that coordination. That you know they they want to coordinate, and if that's what it's going to take to win, they will. Um, but in terms of say in terms of saying they definitely will, I don't know. Um, but Mick Lynch has said you know we will do a twenty four hour general strike if that's what it takes. And I think in terms of his voice, I'd say his voice is quite uh, moderate compared to the actual radicalized rank and file that are the real sort of. Um, movers within the unions mm. I think with, with that final comment that's really interesting because obviously Mick Lynch is currently being shot at from all sides by so many different groups yet he's I think he's an example of one of the few in more recent times union leaders who has managed to hold his own mm. lots of them get shouted down on um, on talk shows or whatever but you see, we see so many sort of it sounds bad but in a very digital age we see lots of, very, lots of clips of Mick mm. Lynch which I think is again raising the profile of the strikes, if that makes sense. Yeah, 
No, yeah, Mick, Mick Lynch, in terms of breathing life into the trade union movements, he's become this figurehead, hasn't he? Do you yeah. remember there was that thing on um, Piers Morgan when he's like, why have you got this? What was it? What was the show? Was it with it? Oh, no, I know the one. Um... One with Richard Madeley on uh, Good Morning Britain. Yeah. I know there's, I know there's yeah. that one where, where it, like, I think Richard Madeley was, was on the line attack. He's, you know, he's, he's a militant unionist and all, <laughs> comparing it to the miners' strikes. Yeah. And then you know, Mick, Mick Lynch's reply was just, Mick Richard, you know what a picket line is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, he's, he's made a mockery of them all. I noticed after that interview, we didn't see him on telly again for a couple of weeks. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, Moving on, then, uh, in terms of there being a general strike and the uh, the, the strike action that's currently taken, obviously we've got the, the law which has just passed in the House of Commons, now sitting in the House of Lords, which is limiting um, the right to strike, the right of, of workers to strike. Uh, do you think that poses a real threat to workers and poses a real threat to, to the labour movement and the class struggle? That's an interesting one, actually, because I think making things illegal will always put a bit of apprehension into people's minds. Yeah. But I think in this case, you know, with the with the increase in poverty in the country, children are going hungry, old people are freezing in their houses. Mm. Um I think it's got to be clear to people now, um you know, most most people in in the class struggle that it's better to break the law than break the poor. I think that's got to be the tagline coming from the tops of the trade union movements. Mm. Um but yeah, I think yeah, if the, if they're gonna if, if striking if protesting is gonna be made illegal, then it's simply just gonna have to be gonna have to smash those anti-strike laws, mm. and that's gonna be through militant, coordinated strike action throughout the country, because otherwise, what does the working class face if faces if faces poverty, starvation, and cold, mm. um, low pay, and a life of no dignity? So the working class is gonna have to fight tooth and nail mm. together across unions, across trades, to to smash these anti-strike laws, and I think that's got to be the message. Mm. I mean, we've seen we've seen so many terrible things. I mean, like like you said, of, of kids going hungry, old people freezing. We you know, we've taken that we you know we've taken that up to this point. What what what's the breaking point? If 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 we've got kids going hungry now, and we've got old people cold in the rooms, and there's still not been you know something short of revolutionary action. Mm. What 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 what? What is the point that we have to pass? When when, when do we pass the Rubicon? Uh, this this is the interesting thing. People always say say to me, you know, you talk about revolution all the time, but when will it happen? Because things things are terrible, and it's revolutions can. Well, I, I, I put it this way: the the working class won't move one second before, you know, one second after it is ready to mm. move for revolution. Um, and that's why it's so important to have that revolutionary leadership there, because you can't make it. Jordan revolution it needs to be made in advance, and this takes lots of, you know, like the Marxist society, lots of education, lots of prep, and lots of practice. You know, and you know, win that leadership. Uh, and revolutions can happen um, in, or you know, even say each strike is like sort of revolution in miniature, mm. uh, and strikes can happen not after decades of um, pay cuts and attacks on conditions. It could be as simple as something tea. Free tea has been removed and coffee has been removed from the um, break room, mm. and that could be the drop. That, 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 that last straw, mm. yeah. yeah. And this is the, this is a Marxist term. I'll, I'll educate everyone on now is mm. um, is is quality quantity into quality, and that is so many things can in quantity can stack up before it produces a qualitative result. Think of it as like you know, if we lived in a, in a volcanic area right now, like the, beneath our feet the ground feels solid, but mm. underneath you've got all this pressure building up, all this magma building up this pressure, and it will take that one bit of additional pressure 
to create a huge volcanic eruption. Mm. We can't predict mm. it. We can't predict what bit of pressure will will do that. But all we need to know is that we need to be ready for it. Yeah, and I think that's mm. the way people need to think about revolution. It's not objectively things can be terrible, but it's 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 finding that extra bit of quantity that'll turn everything into into, into quality into mm. action. Mm. I think then uh, as we we come 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 to the end of it now. Are there any sort of closing remarks that you'd like to make to to, to our listeners? Yeah, um, I think if it's if you've agreed with or, or disagreed, there might there might be many out there who disagree. <laughs> um, but if you found what you've listened, what I've said today interesting, want to hear more of it, come down to Marxist Society, um, and you'll see us on campus as well. We hold stalls on campus. Um, um, where we hand out flyers, get people down to our meetings. You know, you we have, had, to, you we have had... just plastered the uni in, a, in, a, in all all of your posters around the place. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got some, we've got lots of posters up. Um, get, find us on Instagram at York Mark Sock and come down to our meetings on a Tuesday at six pm in um, Dimmed, um, just just next to um, Courtyard. The room is DL 6 and come down, ask your questions because you you came yeah. and it was a fantastic meeting. It was it was. There we go. Well, thank you very much, Tom. Thanks for joining us. Thank yeah. you, Ted, as well, uh, for, for coming back on. Uh, and we shall see you all next time. And that's us done.